What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode three of Break and Build. I am Brad. And I am Billy, where we take a break from daily life and we start to build your life in a positive direction. Welcome back, everybody. We are excited to get into episode three, which we are going to be talking more about Arena Gaming League, which we did leave off last time. So, Brad, this is your passion. This is where we're kicking off this episode. And this is something that you loved and I loved, but you loved it to the next level. So start us off on how we got from Arena Gaming, where we we're at GamePaza with this super jank but successful event <laughs> and is now going to be getting into more of Brad going full force into production. Yeah. So, you know, the love of the game, man. Halo is just... Halo was the game back then. Halo was you know, for a lot of people, the start of their esports career, whether it was playing or casting. And we'll find out where a lot of these people started and who started kind of in the Halo scene and where they end up, you know, further down the road. But it's very interesting. I think that this is a game that everybody really loves. It was super competitive, super compelling, and just very, very fun. And everybody just at the end of the day wants to see each other and hang out with each other. So, yeah, Before I mean, we jump into that, I think yeah, the reason so. why people love this game so much is like it takes a lot of practice to mm -hmm. get good. So if you play Halo, you pick up that controller, you are going to get smacked. Like there's no question, like you're not even going to have a chance. And like something like Call of Duty, if you pick up the controller, there's a chance that you're probably going to get some kills during that game because the people are dying so fast because it's only like a spray of a gun and you die. In Call of Duty. In Halo, however, you need four consistent headshots with a battle rifle in order to take that person down if you don't miss any shots. Or you could take a sniper rifle and hit somebody in the head one time and that person's going to die. So it's a different level of like refinement and skill, which I do think that's probably one of the demises of Halo, which we'll talk about. But I also think that's one of the reasons why the people that were into it were so into it and why it was so much fun to watch. Because once you play this game and you understand what's going on, like it was a different language, a little bit hard to translate for a lot of people, a little bit frustrating for a lot of people. So that's probably why it didn't go throughout the entire spread. But at the same time, once you do understand it, like... It was just this massive obsession. I think that's where Brad got obsessed with. That's how I got obsessed with it. It was just like this consistency mastery that you needed to have in order to play this game, which is what makes it so fun to watch and why the community is so dedicated. And they showed up to these events, which we're going to get into right now. Yeah. And I think to, to piggyback off that, it's, it's a lot of how it's played, right? So like TTK, which is time to kill in a game, Call of Duty's time to kill is really fast. Halo's is a little bit slower, but the the bigger part of it is just like the team camaraderie of your communication as a team and as a unity in Halo has to be so on point. Not only you do you need to be telling your teammates what you are doing the entire time, right? So for example, if we are playing on a level and I'm saying, hey, I'm going left and I'm going to go up behind them and I'm going to do this, like you're communicating everything that you're doing step-by-step while all of your teammates are doing that, you have to comprehend what all your teammates are saying while they're also calling out and seeing what the enemy is doing. And you have to be able mm -hmm. to react to all of that. So you're, you're, you're communicating, you're digesting what the enemy is doing, you're digesting what your teammates are doing, and you have to put all of that together to create this team environment of what is everybody going to do to execute the plan of killing, capturing the flag, uh, you know, controlling a point, whatever the objective is. And when you look at a lot of other games, 
the communication does not need to be at that level. There is a lot of video games out there where the communication is not like that at all. The communication is like, here's our game plan at the beginning of the game. We're going to go and do it. And then you're really just calling when you're doing fighting engagements, when you're maybe doing a certain move or something like that. And the calls are not as crazy. When you listen to Halo comms and the calls, it is non-stop talking from all four people. Not many games do that. Many other games, there is one person that is calling the shots. Everybody else is filling in the empty voids. And because the time to kill is so imperative on team shooting, you need to be close to you know teammates and you want to team shoot so that two or four of you are shooting one enemy. Where when mm-hmm. you look at and compare that to Call of Duty, the time to kill is a lot faster. Team shooting is not as relevant. Yes, you could still melt people and kill them a lot faster, but because you can just see somebody and boom, they're dead, it's a lot easier to have those one-on-one engagements and you know it's not as important to always be with your team. You can run around, see someone kill them, see someone kill them, see someone kill them. In Halo, you could see someone kill them. That next guy's probably going to kill you because you're weak from that last engagement. So you need to have teammates with you to help you more and more. So the, the game creates this super competitive, compelling environment that mm-hmm. also creates these friendships and teamwork that just fuel you to just want to keep playing and keep going and be the best you can be. And if you're like, if if you played sports in high school and growing up, like you have this competitive mindset and everything sure. going into video games, like you just carry this competitive mindset. And like, that's just what draws myself to the game. And I'm sure that a lot of people in esports have that same type of feeling, but halo for me is just very, very specific on why it was, you know, that the game to play. And, and we've and, played a ton of different games, right? Yeah. And there's never been something that once you get to a high level in Halo, I've never found something that's quite that fun, that unique, that camaraderie that Brad talked about, because you have to be with your teammates. If you're not with your teammates, you're going to die. And then your team's going to die because they're down a man. Like it's so dependent on your moves, their moves, everybody's moves. If you team shoot somebody and what Brad means by that is like, if somebody is called out. Let's say somebody's in the middle of the map. You tell your teammates, Hey, this guy's in the middle map. Since I said that it takes four headshots to kill this person. If four of your teammates, you included and three of your other teammates shoot that person with one round all in the head, that person dies with one round. If you go and battle that person individually, it's going to take what a couple seconds, right? Or maybe even longer. And then you're weak and you can get cleaned up. So it's just this next level. When you see it operating at a high level, it's like, Oh my God, this is insane. And I think once you understand that insane teamwork that requires to do what people are like, wow, that guy just died really fast. It's like, dude, you don't understand because you could be in a one-on-one battle. That person can literally put their head down, look down on the map and run away. You could be shooting them in the body and you can't kill that person while they're blinking. So it's a really powerful team game. Yeah. And I absolutely love all the aspects of it. So that's what really drawed me to Halo, got us playing Halo together and kind of rekindled this whole thing with us. And so we talked about in the last episode, kind of our community event that we started in our first smaller event. And then we basically said, okay, it's time to go bigger. Let's go bigger. So now we're like, let's find a venue. We want to still stay in Chicago because we didn't want to expand anywhere else. We don't have the means of doing that yet. We have no idea. We're trying to find stuff that is basically going to just be free for us. We don't want to spend money. We've got some gear right now, um, you know, from that first event, maybe we expand on it with a little bit of money. Um, 
and we get some friend local friends that that help us that like know audio stuff and they're like DJs and they help us with some equipment for this event for for local. Well, let's events. not downplay the fact that you're grinding yourself and really honing in on what the next level of creating a good stream is. Sure. Because you're in this process, you already saw what the fails and the wins were of number one. So now you are looking like, okay, why did the screen go black? How do I switch? What are the next level of a switcher? How do I get this? How do I get that? Right. So that's going on as we start to look for this. Yeah. So like all the tech technology side of things, like it was a huge learning thing. And, um, and we're looking for a venue and a couple of the people that I work with, um, at the time, they went to school at college of DuPage and college of DuPage. We went there and we met with them and we're like, yeah, we can have an event. It'll bring this many people into your college as a promotion stuff. It'll, you know, give the people on campus something to come and check out. Uh, so it seemed like it was something really, you know, good and mutual to do as a really nice space. Um, and, so we're like, all right, let's do it. So we got this awesome space at a college for free. Uh, we didn't have really any other costs. We, you know, just used tables with tablecloths and stuff like that. We didn't go super fancy or anything. And then we changed our equipment around a little bit. We tried to do some webcam stuff. We tried to hook things up to where it was only going to be a point of view from each team that we could switch to, you know, effectively and efficiently without it getting messed up. Um, which all that worked, all the technology worked really well. So uh, the mm -hmm. stream improved by, you know, 25% or 30%, whatever you want to say, it improved. Yep. The audio improved. Um, we had, you know, a lot of big names that weren't playing like Strongside. We'll reference him again to come and cast the event. So, mm -hmm. you know, we had us and some local friends and some pros like that casting the event. And now at this time, we had started to develop a relationship with these pro players uh, right. alum, um, Elamite, um, like hoaxer, like strong side, uh, mm -hmm. Ninja. We're going to, this is where we're going to start talking about Ninja in a lot of episodes. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, we became super good friends and super close to these, these players and these people. And a lot of them lived really close to us. So we were able to kind of talk to them, you know, uh, very frequently. And so then what we decided to do is we said, Hey, that strong side shirt we did went over really well with the community. Why don't we start doing that with more players? And so now we're like, okay, let's make, um, you know, let's like make Marcus this design was yeah. Revealed at the AGL Chicago event. Yeah. So, so because we had Ninja show up, so we yep. already, he was at the game Pazo event as well, because yep. he's from Michigan, if I'm not mistaken, no, uh, Northern or was he, Illinois. Is he, or Northern Illinois. Yeah. It's up by like Gurney, like okay, okay. Northern Illinois, Wisconsin border. Okay. Yeah. I'm thinking McWin. McWin's from Michigan. Yep, yep. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah so we did McWin too. Yep. Yeah. So we started basically utilizing our clothing aspects and yep. everything that we learned for clothing. And we're like, Hey, maybe we can start leveraging bonafide in with AGL. And the way we're going to do that is we're going to start producing basically pro model versions of these people's graphics. And we made Ninja logo. We well, let's go, let's go over all the players who, who did, who did yeah. we do this for? We did it for strong side, Ninja formal, yeah. formal, yeah. Nick Wynn. Uh, Marcus, which his in-game name is, uh, what, Elam, Elamite? Elam, Elamite? Elamite? Elamite Warrior? No. No, different, no. different Elamite. Um, I can't remember how to say Marcus's name. Alumni. Alumni. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it. we you also did Roy, Bo- Roy Boy. Roy. Roy yeah. Borg. We had Roy, the Roy Borg shirt, yeah. dude. That was Roy a dope Borg. shirt. That was a really dope robot shirt. Yeah. Um, I don't know who else we did. Uh, I think that might be it. I think that might be it. Yeah. That's a lot. Right, that's six, seven people. That's a lot, yeah. And then totally. But Ninjas was first, so we did Strong Side first, yep. and then we we actually sold all. I think that was actually the same time that we went to MLG where we were. No, that was the event before we did all the promotions. Yep. So I think that was the event before, and I think we just showed up with those. And did he buy them? He bought them. And from he us. sold. He them? bought them from us. He sold them, and I think he actually just gave them to his fans. I don't even know that he sold them. He wanted it got more it. as a as a promotional piece for himself. But then, yeah, it, so then we it. had these other players and we're like, okay, let's do some shirts. So now mm-hmm. we have at our event, a bona fide booth, right? Yeah. And we have all this clothing and Billy's, you know, Billy's job at the event. He had two, two major, major things. My job at our events was always the streaming aspect and making sure that our broadcast was going to be good. And then right. Billy's job was making sure that the open bracket ran good and all the clothing and and merch was taken care of so basically so for the I, I was part, back a house he was front of yeah. us for for the the easier terms of it yeah and for the most part um my involvement in the bracketing system didn't really pick up efficiency until like a couple of the later events at yep. that time i was more running and i guess i kind of felt a little displaced at this time because i was doing the clothing i had that skill set i had the people skill set so i was developing those relationships but I didn't understand that I could run anything as far as like AGL goes because my skill set wasn't as developed in the technology part. And Brad had that down so much and didn't really need my help per se because I wouldn't be an asset just being like a, a switching assistant. Like I don't think that would have served our business. So I was doing that. And in this this event, and I think the next event or next two events, I'm a little bit more passive as an involvement in, in AGL yep. until we get to down the line, which we'll talk about when we were in Tennessee, where I was like, I don't know, something just clicked in my mind where I was like, dude, I can run this better. Yeah. And so that's kind of like how our, our brains work. As you can see is Brad gets the idea. He starts to run with it. And then I'm like, kind of like sitting on this idea and it takes a little bit of time. And then all of a sudden, like something clicks in my mind. I'm like, dude, we can do this way more efficient. And this is how we're going to do it. And so right now I'm basically just running the booth. I'm making sure the players are happy and it's kind of just like happening. It's not like super specific. We had a couple of yep. friends that were running the bracket and I wasn't like the gung ho bracket runner that I come to be down yep. the line. <laughs> and so we're just going as of right now and Brad is but throwing on this event and it's, it's good, man. But it's, it's really it. important to have you on the front there because like, because I'm all I can focus on is a stream. I have no engagement with the players. I have no engagement with any right. of the attendees. So Billy is, is, you know, the face of, all these people that are seeing him every single day there and are asking him questions and talking with him and stuff. Mm-hmm. So he's able to have all of these interactions with all the people to make sure that they're going to support us and come to, you know, future events. For sure. So it's really good because I can't do that while I'm sitting there running a broadcast. It just doesn't work. And I also think that's one of my strong suits as well, where it's like, I'm pretty good at like building interpersonal relationships. I feel like I've developed myself to be like a likable person, which I think is important if you're going to hold that type of role in a company, especially if you're like a CEO, like you have to be a likable type person where you're able to like develop and understand people like we talked about in episode number one. So that was really fun for me in that regard until I was able to understand that next. But it's totally true that like I was out there making sure... And this is... We'll get into this in, in a totally other episode. Like community relationships 
even though we weren't sponsoring these people, even though we weren't paying these people to be able to be here, like the amount of gratitude and appreciation that somebody gets, just if I or Brad is able to go up to that person and be like, Hey man, how are you doing? Like, what's up? You know, thank you for being here is monumentally huge. Like just recognizing people for being where they're at. I can't even tell you how like amazing that is to feel as a content creator or those people perceive it, receiving it. It's it's, you can't even put a price tag on that. And so another thing that, that we sold in the booth, uh, at this event, and I think it's the only time we did it. So if you have one of those pieces, it's super nostalgic. Mm -hmm. So what we did is we took, this is just like my, my creative fun stuff that I like to do. Right. So we took the screen printing stuff and I was like, I think I can do this on canvases and I think I can make some really cool like canvas art and we can sell that as well to people or give it away as prizes. And mm-hmm. so what, then what I did is I basically, I took, I, I went to, you know, Michael's Hobby Lobby, bought all these canvases and I took spray. You can get like 10 for like 20 bucks. Yeah, like they're nothing. And so then like I, I spray painted them all like super cool colors, like drips, did all these different base spray paint colors. And then I took our t-shirt designs and I screen printed them on top of that and I dried them. And now you've got these really cool canvas pieces of art that have, you know, Ninja's shirt on it and Strongside's shirt on it and Bonafide stuff on it. And so then like being able to give those away to people is just crazy. So like if you're listening to this or watching this and you have one of those, let us know because <laughs> you are like an OG of the OGs and you have... You know, we probably did like, like 20 one, to 30 of yeah, those. Like, yeah. Like, yeah, like literally very, very slim pickings. We have a picture of the display on the Bonafide Facebook page, and that's probably like the remnants of it. I think I have like three or four that I hang on my walls at, you know, because like I love the yeah, it looks cool awesome. Stuff, yeah. The love, the work. Yeah, it's amazing. It, it looks really cool. Um, but yeah, that's kind of that's kind of how that all started. And then um the other really big stepping stone in this event, which will bring us into the the next topic of fueling the fire is going to be two parts. It's going to be sponsors and it's going to be investors. So at this event, we actually had Astro as a sponsor. So we We had had headsets and stuff to give away. It started off very small with them, but we did, they were like our first sponsor we brought on and they stuck around for everything for us. Um, Which is a big company, man. That's not something like look over like Astro was the sponsor of MLG. And MLG was a multi-million dollar company. We are a very amateur company yep. monetarily wise, but we're producing at a much higher level. As we talked about in Bonafide, Brad and I are very, very conscious of making sure that our companies not just operate from a public's eye, but like how do we be the most efficient and deliver the most amount of production value in whatever regard we're doing. And that has been what probably locked us down with to be able to get Astro at such an early stage. And so, you know, getting, getting sponsors for events is, is really what, in my opinion, makes or breaks you, no matter what you're doing, if you are putting on an event of anything, and this, this will develop through my career for the the following 10 years after this on where I go. And, and you'll learn a lot about sponsor acquisition through this podcast and working with companies and business development as well. But to start it off, if you're putting on an event, your mindset needs to be to break even. Most of the time, you're not going to make money off of your event. You will make money off of other things such as like merchandise or, um, you know, 
I guess you could say like donation, anything like that. Like merchandise is probably the biggest thing, but there's other supplements. supplements. Yes, upsales. So like if your tickets are going towards the prize pool and your ticket sales are going towards paying venue fees and doing all this stuff, then you got to say, okay, I can break even off of this. I need to get this much money worth of sponsors to cover these additional costs. And, you know, getting sponsors is probably one of the hardest things that you could try to do. And you can have sponsors that are a hundred percent in and they can bail out the last minute. I have so many horror stories of that happening to us and we'll see how AGL ends due to certain things like that. And right. which we've really never talked about a lot of this stuff publicly. And no, I think it's, at least not us together. We've had like blips and pieces yeah, of people asking us yeah. stuff, but we've never fully aired out all the, uh, the what actually happens behind the scenes, you know, a lot of stuff yeah. that, 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 that is front facing that a lot of people judge us for and stuff like that. It's just not something that we needed to ever really talk to the public or create arguments or defend ourselves because it's business. It's not personal to us when stuff like this happens. And you know, how many businessmen that are successful now have failed hundreds of times before and bankrupted themselves and bankrupted businesses. Like it's like a tall tale thing of like you go bankrupt and you fail five times before you're going to have something successful. Right. So exactly. you have to have these stepping stones and these lessons and these failures and, you know, getting sponsors really helps the events be successful. So like I was an advocate of just reaching out to as many companies as I can that have supported in the gaming scene already who haven't to try to sell them on it. And I'm just, I just sit there and I just grind the pavement. And there's a couple sponsors through this process that I'll touch on that became really, really good working relationships with us. Astro stuck with us the whole time. They were awesome. They supported us. Huge shout out to Astro, man. It's amazing. And then the second biggest supporter was the controller shop. So before like really Scuff took off or... um, Cause I guess Scuff took off probably, I guess they were, they were, they were taking off, right? They were, they were, they were mm-hmm. growing, but there was all these controller companies at this time. This right. was like the era of controller companies. So it's not, it's not like it was Scuff owning the market or anything. There was 20 different controller companies doing custom controllers and the controller shop, they did custom painted controllers. So they did these custom painted controllers for us to do giveaways with. They give discount codes for buying their stuff. And on our streams, they had this song with their video that we played and it just became the meme of our broadcast because we would play this thing in like hundreds of times a day, like ridiculous amounts. Like this, it goes against everything broadcast you can ever do for a sponsor. And I, I just, I was just like, yeah, I'm just going to spam this commercial all the time to see how many sales they get. And so like they were very successful over it. So they supported us for all of our events because it was a really good working relationship. And, uh, you know, I can't remember what song it was. I'm going to have to go pull it up for a future thing to talk about it. But like people loved the song. They were like, oh, it's a break. And they would just start singing the song and everything in the chat. And it, it became a whole thing. So it was, it that's how you create memories for the people that support you. And so it's really fun that it happened. And even though it was a little spammy, it happens. So they, they were a company that stuck with us. And then, um, another company. Yeah. I think also like a lot of these companies, like sponsors are a tricky thing, like Brad said, because you know, you have these big companies like scuff and Astro 
And obviously we give them big shout outs, but a lot of the bigger companies aren't willing to invest too much monetarily in you until you're at like such a certain point, because that's a brand image for them. So if they're going to like literally pay you, like it has to be at a place. So we're grateful for a lot of these sponsors, but at the same time, because of how small we are and were, but we looked bigger on the surface, it was very, very challenging for us to get money acquisitions to be able to like take this like exponentially further than what we really wanted it to be. Cause we saw the vision. We knew we had the skill set, We knew we had everything lined up. And for whatever reason, it was just like the, the people did not want to invest like crazy heavily in halo for whatever reason. I don't know if they already had tips or pointers or saw a different vision of how gaming was going to be transmitted in the future of to call of duty and saw that process. But that's just like the reality of the situation. And me and Brad were determined not to accept that. Yep. And we kind of talked on that in our first episode where it's like, no matter how many people, you know, have the doubt in you or tell you, you can't make it. If you just compartmentalize that and you move forward and mm-hmm. you just say, we're going to do this and we're going to make it successful. It can happen. It might not happen totally. exactly how you want it to, but it can happen. So sponsors became a really big thing. And that became a really big staple point of just us moving forward. And that's, a huge thing that can make you successful. It can make you successful very fast if you get the correct sponsors and monetization on stuff. So we had some companies that were supporting us through the whole thing. We had some other that came up later that gave us a lot of cash to to do some stuff. And then the other big part of this is investments. So whenever you're starting a company, there's multiple ways you can go about it, right? You can invest in yourself and spend all the money, which we'd been doing, you know, with Bonafide and AGL up Mm -hmm. to this point. Or you can go out and you can, you know, try to acquire money from other people and have investor deals. There's a million ways that that investors can invest in you. Um, way more than there is to talk about right here. We can maybe do an episode strictly on investments. Um, I've been actually through a lot of that uh, recently with other ventures. And um, in this particular situation, there was a family friend of ours uh, that you know, had a very successful business and they had money and, uh, they were gamers. So they came out to that Chicago event and they basically wanted to check it out and see what we were doing. And they were very impressed with what we threw together with having nothing. So Mm -hmm. we basically, we threw it down and we got, you know, up to a $50,000 investment for our very first investors ever. So for us, we go, Holy cow, like that's insane. We go from this HDMI switcher to I can go and buy an actual production switcher. We can buy actual cameras. We can buy TVs. We can buy monitors. We can buy all of this stuff to now take our quality that was mm-hmm. sitting way below subpar to up to where it needs to be, right? We are able to pay graphic designers to design stuff for us for overlays and work with us. So we're able to take all this these chunks of money. And I think the initial spend that we did was about half of that. I think we spent about $25,000 to basically get stuff we needed for a little bit fancier stage, get some equipment, just get us to the next level. We didn't want to spend everything. We didn't want to overcommit because we didn't know enough yet of what the next steps were going to be. So we didn't want to just start spending a bunch of extra money that wasn't needed yet. So all we did is we focused on, here's what we need to make our quality of the broadcast better because in order to get sponsors, in order to get viewership, we believe that you have to have quality for people to watch when you're putting on a tournament atmosphere like that. Um, Absolutely. And I think there's power in this before we continue onward that 
leveraging yourself. So if we're talking about investors right here real quick, or whatever you're going to do in life, if you can produce more than what people perceive you as capable to produce, you are at an exponential advantage in life because this person, imagine, don't worry about the numbers, nothing about that right now. If they see you, you're on a budget that's like a thousand dollars, right? And you're producing at what they perceive is 20 to 30 to $50,000. Imagine if they like, okay, in my mind, this is how somebody's going to think. If I can give this person $20,000 or whatever it's going to be, and I can give them that, this thing that they're already producing at this very low cost can automatically exponentiate because they already understand how much value they're producing, how much more they're able to produce and how innovative they are in that space. And so by being the most innovative you can, and as we talk about a theme for me and Brad, it's just quality is the number one key. And there's tons of room to produce quality with a very low budget. And so that when that producer or that investor or whatever business that you're in comes to you and you're like, wow, there's nothing better than like over delivering and virtually under promising. The under promise is the low investment cost. The over deliver is just wow on the material and the production side. And that's what we're doing right now, which is why when somebody comes to you, granted, they're going to want to look at your numbers, but really they're assessing you as a person, what you're doing, what you're about, how you're producing, how you're taking, how, what's your mindset and, and how your goals are looking and like, where are you developing yourself? And that is invaluable in something that you can't tangibly recognize and, and assess on a piece of paper. 100%. You are selling yourself more than you're selling your product in most situations. Because if you're an investor or even sponsors, if they believe in you and what you're capable of and how you present yourself, then they're investing in you as a person, no matter mm -hmm. what you do, right? You can change your entire business plan the next day. But if they have believe in you and that what you do is going to be successful, then they're going to they're gonna help you out and they're going to back you up no matter what venture you take. Absolutely. And it's virtually, you're selling your actions. Mm -hmm. It's not your ideas, it's your actions. Because you can have ideas, but if you can't implement those actions currently and show them how much value you can produce from those actions, your ideas may not be worth anything. Because nobody wants to invest in somebody who's passive saying, Oh, I'm going to do this when I get this money. If there's a when involved, it's not an if, it's not a now, and it's not going to be tangible for somebody to believe in you. So now that kind of leads us into the overarching plan of what Arena Gaming started to develop in at this point. So mm -hmm. these events have now happened in the course of like two months. Like we've had three events in like the course of like two months. And now we've got this full-fledged plan of we want to have an event every single month for the next year. Like that is how aggressive <laughs> we went with this. Or Just I thinking about that is nauseating. We, we, it, it never should have been a thing. It, we would have... Honestly, if we would have done it any other way, we probably would still be in business right now. Um, yeah. And we would probably still be operating it. Uh, we went way too... The biggest thing with businesses is growing too fast is usually what shuts them down because you can't handle it. Um, you're not scaling. You're not being able to like analyze. Like yeah. You're just going. Yeah. So we, we went super, super fast. And it was, it was okay... We need to keep the momentum going. So we have to do this every month. People are going to come no matter what. And so we put this plan out to do something every single month. We put events out for Indiana, for Pittsburgh, for Rhode Island, for Tennessee, for Atlanta. Um, Did we do Rhode Island? 
Yeah, it was it was one of the small events that I just flew out. Was to. that the, that was the New Jersey one? Yep. Oh yeah, New Jersey. Yep. Yeah, New Jersey, New Jersey. Yeah. Um, and so we we put the, all these stuff on the market. And we did this whole roadmap of here's event one through ten. Here's when they're going to happen, where they're going to happen. Mm-hmm. We lock yep. in all the venues. We lock in all the stuff. Again, we're trying to not pay for anything unless we absolutely have to. Um, and that that was the plan that we wanted to move forward with. There's a lot within this plan that we're going to touch on in future episodes because yeah. each event has different lessons that correlate with it. So those events will come up uh, as those lessons and as the journey continues. Um, but the kind of thing here is if you're creating something, just take a step back and really think about it and look at it. If we would have done this in a different way and we would have said, we're going to have one event and we're going to worry about the next event after that event happens, this would have been way more successful because then we could have spent mm-hmm. two, three, four months planning an event and we would have made right. sure that that event was 100% going to be successful. Instead, right. we're planning 10 events at one time with zero focus. And right. it really, really, really just hurt us in so many ways. Um, yeah. I think the... I mean, there's a one thing like speed is important in business. It is important. So let's not downplay that. Like we were on a good track. We just didn't have enough knowledge at that time to be able to plan like or growth people. and or money. People. And yeah, right. We're people. So we, we just didn't understand like, like I do think speed is important, but scalable speed is also more important, right? It's just being smarter with your speed. So we had the right trajectory and vision. We just didn't quite understand the depth of what was going to come with trying to host an event every month and how much effort it was going to be to keep learning, to keep trying to get new venues, to keep trying to like get more sponsors and then to run these events and keep people happy and um, make sure that nothing fell apart in the process, which is what we'll, we'll start getting into a little bit. You've got to think an event a month apart, you got to think how actually short time frame that is because yeah. when you're done with an event and you have to travel back and you've mm-hmm. got to recoup so now like so let's just say a week per a, event a, a week is per allocated towards where you can't produce the next event exactly so you have this two and a half to three week time frame in between each event uh and and it's really really hard um to hit that that those timelines and timeframes. And this is with nobody helping us set up really. We're like doing this on volunteer help from the organizations and the people around from the local communities and stuff like that. It's literally us packing, not initially, but after the New Jersey event that Brad goes to is us packing all our gear in a car, two cars and driving it. Yep. So uh, that's kind of that's kind of the overarching plan and everything like that, and and we'll see where it kind of leads us and and the 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 crazy journey that that plan of a year takes us on. But amongst all of this is a really good underlining thing, and up to this point and leading forward is all the people that we have been interacting with and meeting with at our events thus far in the community that we've been engaged with. Are, are not only our friends, but they're becoming our family at this point. This group of people is so close knit and so intertwined with each other. And even though they're competing against each other and everything, everybody is so likable and wants to help each other and wants to be successful mm-hmm. and, and help each other be successful that right. we were not just friends, man. Like we were straight up family with a lot of right. these people. Like um, we'll get into a story as well. When I, I reach back out to, uh, Tyler Ninja, when we were talking that like, 
this comes back full circle, it's going to be a good episode where it like it tore, it tore me up a little bit when you, when, when we were talking about it. Yeah. yeah. The, the, the things that happen, I know we're leading you guys on a lot with, there's all this stuff that happens with AGL, but the, the stuff that happens in the way that it happens and kind of where we're left afterwards, um, it's super unfortunate with keeping that this in mind that we consider all these people our family because we were very transparent with everybody. We talked to all the players day in and day out. We would ask for opinions on every mm-hmm. change and everything we were doing. We tried to make all of our changes and adjustments to what the community wanted as much as we possibly mm-hmm. can. And we tried to be forward facing community focused um, with just keeping our business in mind on the back end. But, you know, we really, really did enjoy the relationships that were developed over, you know, this business venture that we had because we met so many good people and we got so much, so many. so many friends and family. And to talk about a couple of those people that really, really became part of this inner circle with us for better or for worse, but that I would mm-hmm. say, you know, we looked up to and we also just became very intertwined in the community with uh golden boy i want to start off with alex like golden mm-hmm. boy started you know casting um with mlg stuff and keep playing in call of duty and casting call of duty and you know he came out to some of our events and he started casting halo with us and the friendship that still lasts with golden boy is unbelievable I see him all the time at everything gaming that we do. And he is just an absolutely great person. great person all around. Um, so like watching his journey from when we first met him to where he is now on the NBC Titan games, it is mm. unbelievable, man. It is unbelievable. Like watching these it's people. It's a persistent like, refinement of skills. It's a very powerful skill set, you know, being an announcer, being able to uh, sustain that. And like, that's the cool thing. It's like, no matter where you start, Having a very unique skill set that's really valuable, like his, he started doing Call of Duty, Halo. Now, you know, refining that, refining that, then went on to do Smite, right? And then does other things. And now he's on a big production, you know? So it's like, it doesn't matter where you start. Like, you don't know where your journey can take you. And a couple of other people that I'm going to just say a couple names here. We're not going to go in detail with them because... We're going to have lots of episodes to go in detail and kind of see where they started and where they end up. Like Billy said, we already kind of touched on some of the pro players that we got our hands on with, um, you know, at our event, but then talent pieces that, you know, started to come out were like golden boy. Uh, you got ghost Ayami who casted Mm -hmm. a lot of stuff with us. You've got Scott Gandhi, you've Mm -hmm. got Maven, Mm -hmm. um, so there's a lot of these big names that if you recognize those names, if you're in the gaming at all, and if not, we'll kind of walk you through where they come from and where they went and where they are now in other episodes. But just to resonate that the beginning of our events, these first couple events, all these people started coming into our lives and supporting what we were doing. So with their backing and with these big personalities and content creators that were out there supporting what we were doing started to give us more leverage for our events, but all of these people really united into this big friendship and big family during this time of growing arena gaming league. Yeah, exactly. And I think the one thing that I wanted to go back to touch on is that when we were a community focused gaming event thing, like 
we didn't even really, I mean, we do always talk about this, me and Brad of, you know, what is going on that's good right now and what was good. And then how can we make it better? That's always our forefront and a thought of our minds. And we noticed that with MLG kind of falling off, there was some things going on and some drama and whatnot. We wanted to make sure that like this league is about pro players, right? Essentially it's about people competing. So it was a must for us to have friendships and to run all these ideas by these people, because we wanted to make sure that these people that were going to invest their time and money. And I think that's why so many people were so excited about all our events all the time, especially as we like develop more and had uh, like more people showing up and increasing our production value and then growing our Twitch channel to have like, I think one of our highest was like 25,000 recurring viewerships on one of our events. If I'm not mistaken, Brad knows all the details on that. Um, was just like really focusing on making our events and our, our, our AGL about these players and about the competition. It wasn't about our egos. It wasn't about what we think is best. Granted, you know, we, we are smart and we're obviously doing this, but at the same time, it was always running the ideas by. And I think that's why a lot of these players were really appreciative of that and why they became so loyal to all our, our events and everything that we were doing because they felt heard. And with a lot of larger companies, I don't know for certain because I've never worked with other huge companies, but um, I do know that sometimes the being heard issue is less important because as the money gets bigger, it becomes less about these lower lying fruit people, I guess you would say, and more about just like, how do we produce bigger business? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's definitely one thing that I've learned in the gaming is community's voice is very strong and the more you can listen to them the more successful your product can be for um, sure and even on like for myself doing youtube honestly like some of the best feedback i get is in my comment section when i was early on it was like i would read my comments and you know it's it's tough to digest when people deliver criticism in an unconstructive way but i started to learn that although they may not be conveying their message in a constructive manner, I can still look at these comments. And although they may say something like, you're dumb, I'm never going to watch this channel again. Like you could do this different. And like, if I thought about that and I was like, Hmm, maybe, maybe that is a good idea. Like the reason why I do some of my videos the way I do is because I literally saw somebody in my comments, like, Hey, it'd be really cool if when you did your excellent throw tutorials, if you had white highlight circles around the circle so that we could see where your ball was tracking. And I was like, Oh, okay. You know, like, so like those things is dissociating yourself from it being positive or negative, And then looking at the community because the people that are watching you or participating with you or whatever, those are your customers. So understanding that is crucial and making that people, as long as it's not like shifting you into a way that like, you're not going to enjoy what you're doing, but if you can find a way to enjoy what you're doing and then make the community happy, you have like two things going up and that's like a, a really good recipe for growth. Love it. Yeah. I don't got anything else on this episode, Billy. This is all, uh, no. this is all I got. Yeah, we're good, man. This was fun. This is just the beginning guys of arena gaming. Honestly, this journey that me and Brad took together is going to take us on a ride that tested us, that took us to new heights, that took us to new like levels of things that we thought were not possible or how possible they were for I don't know, like the whole time I just felt like, you know, we're such small people, right? And we're producing at such a high level. It was like this strange feeling of like bigger companies not recognizing us like humongously of what we're doing, but they were still recognizing us. 
that we were just like, it just felt like it was just me and Brad in our basement playing Halo together, but yeah. like we're doing stuff at a high level. So I'm excited to get into that with you guys and then show how we intermingle companies and then how all this stuff, you know, we're talking episodes down the line. We have tons of amazing content for you guys. That's going to lead us into basically where we are today, which is producing stuff at relatively high levels for both of us. So appreciate you guys for being here. You know the drill. We're going to see you guys out on the next podcast. Download, like, comment, subscribe, share it. Do all the fun things. Yeah. Deuces.